Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to another episode of Speaker Circle here on Rock M Radio. My name is Josh Matica. I am Deputy, Ma- Deputy Manager over at RockMNation.com. And joining me today for his possibly, I don't know, we'll see how it shakes out, his Rock M Radio debut. I am very pleased to welcome Nate Edwards, uh, one of our new football analysts to the show. Nate, welcome to Rock M Nation and welcome to Speaker Circle. Well, thank you. Appreciate uh, you having me, and I'm excited to uh, be joining the writing community here. Nate is one of uh, a few writers that we're bringing on um, for this season in our in our football coverage. Uh, Sam and I have been working really hard to talk to a few new voices and and kind of talking to people about what they've been missing about Rockham Nation's football coverage, and, and Nate's a really big piece of that. We're really excited to have you on board, Nathan. Um, so Nate, usually in Speaker Circle, kind of the point of this whole podcast is for people to get to know uh, not only the writers of Rock M Nation, but the Mizzou community as a whole. We've had people from ABC 17 on, uh, members of the Mazad cast have been on before. Um, so really, a lot of this podcast, and we'll talk a little bit of Mizzou at some point, but is to get to know you. So tell us, Nate, how did you first become a Mizzou fan? Was it from... Was it from childhood? Was it an experience you had outside of Missouri? Just kind of fill us in on that. Yeah, I was I was definitely born into it. Um, my grandfather was a professor at the university. Um, actually, Middlebush uh, <laughs> was his creation, Middlebush Hall. Uh, he was a football referee and a basketball referee as well. 
uh, which meant that my dad went to all the games growing up, uh, which means he dragged me to all the games when I was growing up. Um, of course, you know, when you're three, you don't quite understand what the heck's going on. You prefer to play with your Hot Wheels. But, you know, over exposure, time after time after time, I started paying closer attention. Uh, really, really started liking it during the Corby Jones years. Uh, I cried at the uh, the flea kicker game. I'll never forget <laughs> that. Uh, we were walking back. We were walk, walking back to the car. I was bawling my eyes out. My dad just looks at me and says, "Welcome to Mizzou fandom." And uh, curiously enough, I was I was hooked at that point. Um, I really you know started paying attention to the sport and really getting into it during the the Brad Smith years. Uh, and then of course I was in college for the uh, Chase Daniel magical run of 07. So. Uh, I, I was born into it, and then I kind of came of age uh, during some really great moments uh, in program history, and it's it, you know I've been sticking with it ever since. Yeah, so one of the things that I that I really enjoy talking about fandom specifically in sports is kind of the formative moments that developed you as a fan. You mentioned the flea kicker game. So oddly enough, uh, I was born in Missouri, but I wasn't really a Missouri fan. Growing up, and, and I've mentioned this on podcasts before, um, none of my family had ties to Mizzou. It was more of a, hey, they're the home school, so you kind of root for them. But, I mean, as a kid, I, I liked Michael Jordan, so I rooted for North Carolina and basketball. But as, as I got closer to getting into college, I was I was drawn to the University of Missouri for the journalism school, and I ended up, I, I decided early on that I was going to go there, so I became a fan. The formative moments of my career were definitely... Um, uh, the Kansas game in 2007, uh, sod racing is, is an image I will never be able to get out of my head. Um, when I was in school, uh, the Andrew Baggett missed field goal and the South Carolina comeback. That was really when I, I felt like I empathized with the, the deep doldrums of what it meant to be a Mizzou fan <laughs> over yes. the course of their history. So tell us about some of those formative yeah. moments in your life. I know you mentioned the flea kicker. What are some other ones that like just they're burned in your brain forever? Man, you you uh, yeah. There's always a baptism by fire somewhere in Mizzou fandom. Um, you know, you go back to uh, you know some people you know a couple of years older than me, and it was the fifth down. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I was you know as far as formative moments go, obviously the Nebraska game was big. Uh, but the the next week uh, when they clinched a bowl game, uh, fans rushed the field. And Brock Olivo grabbed a mic and started talking to the fans and, you know, saying how much they appreciated uh, the support uh, for the team finally getting there. I'll never forget that. Um, I was I was in March in Mizzou uh, when I was in college. And one of the most just incredible moments uh, of my entire career was that 07 Nebraska game. Uh, we always entered through the south end zone at the time, and you go up uh, a little ramp out um, – onto the field and as we walked out it was i'm not even kidding you shimmering gold and the entire place was just packed and we're talking you know 40 minutes before kickoff and you just you just felt uh the energy in the air and of course that's when we we (laughs) we smoked nebraska the first time uh the oklahoma game uh of 07 um, the 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 one that was when I was out of college was probably one of the better ones was 2010 Oklahoma um, when when John McGaffey uh, returned the opening kick for a touchdown I ripped my shirt off uh, hugged a man uh, <laughs> who also ripped his shirt off and we were told by security to put our garments back on uh, 2013 when we clinched the East against A and M 
Uh, it was me and a friend of mine from college. And we'll just, you know, you just have these moments. And luckily, I've had a lot of positive ones. You go back to my, you know, my father's generation or, like I said, you know, the couple years before me. And it was just, just nut kick after nut kick. And you're just like, why am I even doing this? So uh, I, myself, and of course it sounds like you a little bit, uh, had the benefit of having some seminal moments that were both positive and, of course, the, the negative as well. Yeah, I mean, I and, and it extends beyond football too. I know I've I've been a part of our basketball t- coverage team here at Rock M for a while, and I mean, one of my first formative, really, when I felt like the University of Missouri, I was part of it. You know, I was a senior in high school, and that was unfortunately the f- the first Frank Haith basketball year and the Norfolk State game. Um, oh, I, gosh, I yeah. just a just a truly devastating moment for. 18 year old me but yeah i took off work for that game oh man i left early and i was like i can't wait to see this the run start and i just no the the less said we you know we say about that the better off we are yeah of course but really like like you said i've we we both have been the benefit of kind of seeing missouri turn into something over the past few years that historically it never really has been i mean i guess you could talk about the don Fro years in a way but um, even those, I, I mean, among younger fans, it's, it, it, there's kind of not a fondness for that era. I feel like because this past, these past like 15 years, really since the year 2000 have been so good and we've kind of come to expect a level of performance. So you can have years like last year where you end up eight and five borderline top 25 team. And you can be like, Oh, well, you know, it was kind of disappointing because we didn't win the bowl game. Right. For a lot of people, that wasn't the reality for the most of their lives as Mizzou fans. Oh yeah. Gosh. I like, like I said, you know, when I remember celebrating, uh, winning three games at home, (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was awesome. Um, and you know, you go from uh, Bob Stoll to Woody Woodenhofer, uh, and then Larry Smith tried to, you know, t- took what he did, uh, what, what he could find and turn it into something awesome. And um, it's it's been a it's been a slow turnaround seemingly since I've been paying attention. And uh, it's been incredible to see that to see that run. And I mean, yeah, we might be disappointed in, you know, oh, nine or 11 or yeah, last year when it feels like we were close to so much more. Um, but you really take a step back and you go. Compared to where we've been or what we could be, you know, we're a solid middle of the tier team. You know, and it's like you, you celebrate, you celebrate what you can, because uh, you know that uh, the devastation can can come quickly and uh, and, and without notice. Um, but it's it's been a great ride, like you said, since the turn of the millennium with uh, with Pink's uh, coming in and turning the program around. Like, it's been great. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is it's it's a good it's a good stretch. I'm not saying it's elite or the best ever, um, but it's been a really good stretch. And uh, all things considered, it's been a good good 20 years to be a Tiger. Yeah, and and I feel like you talk about it not being elite, it being a good stretch. But I feel like those things are all relative, right? So if we sure. look at like the past 10 years of Alabama, that's an elite stretch. The last mm-hmm. the last decade to half decade of Clemson football, that's an elite stretch. But really mm-hmm. for the last 20 years, like I said, of Mizzou football, it's, it, it is elite in some ways because it's like Gary Pinkle took the program to places that it had almost never been before. And I don't know, I feel like we're we're kind of in a holding pattern with Barry Odom because we've seen he, he 
I feel like the foundation is different now than when Gary Pinkle took over, right? Like there wasn't that expectation. And that's been kind of nice because now you go into year four under Barry Odom and you're like, okay, like people are talking about like nine to 10 wins is like, okay, this is a very distinct reality that is totally accomplishable. And that's, I mean, how many programs in the country get to actually say that? (laughs) Yeah, about 20. Um, You know, it's, and yeah, it, it is relative. Uh, you know, one of the things with, with Pinkle that I know that frustrated a lot of people is that he raised the bar and it's like, okay, so what's next? And that's where I feel like a lot of people got frustrated. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're not, if you don't have the Alabama money cannon, uh, or you don't have, you know, Clemson, uh, you know, or Georgia or Texas or anything like that, then, you know, you can't really expect, uh, those kind of runs. You gotta, you gotta overachieve where you're at. And Missouri, for the past 20 years, has been able to do that. So, you know, with Barry, uh, it depends on how you view the roster that he inherited, obviously. There are those who think that there was no talent drop-off and that going to four wins was indicative of a a first-year head coach at a Power 5 program who was in over his head uh, and that he's just slowly learned over these past couple years how to be a head coach. You also have people who subscribe to the fact that it was – uh, a drop-off in talent and a drop-off in, in buy-in. And, yeah, the apple was shiny, but there's a gigantic worm in the middle. Mm-hmm. And he had to root the worm out, and he had to put it all back together, and it took some time to do that. That certainly Odin buys into that theory, um, as a, you know, as we can tell from his post-game rants. Uh, but, you know, we don't, re- we don't really know. And, and what we do know is that the wins have been incrementally improving, you know, from four to seven to eight. Uh, there are there things that he can still work on. Yeah, he's still a fourth year head coach. Uh, are there things that I still complain about from a coaching standpoint? Absolutely. Learn to use your timeouts, man. <laughs> Take a couple <laughs> shots at the end of half, okay? Especially when you have Drew freaking lock. Um, but I will tell you, I mean, overall, when when it comes to uh, coaching a football team, and I want to rip a page out of Bill C's book, being a head coach and being a staff, you have to acquire talent, you have to develop talent. And you have to deploy that talent correctly. And as far as acquisition and development goes, I'd say he's on the track to have those two boxes checked. Deployment is always kind of up in the air. You can even question, you know, Dabo or, or Nick Saban on some of their deployment uh, decisions. But um, I think he's really rounding into form uh, as a as a solid head coach uh, with a let's let's call it a three star program and a five star conference. Um, and as long as you set your expectations and people support the team, because that's the other thing, you got to show up and give them money so they can do what they need to do, um, I think we are in a good direction. And, yeah, this year could be huge. Yeah, you talked about uh, ripping a page out of Bill C's book, which is a perfect segue into uh, kind of what I wanted to talk about next is um, is, is about you and kind of what you're going to be doing at Rock M Nation. So um, one of the reasons that we brought you on, I remember when you and I were initially talking about our role at Rock M, um, Bill Bill came up a lot, right? Bill is mm-hmm. kind of the godfather in a lot of ways of, and, <laughs> yeah. and I don't want to talk about him in these like hushed tones. I mean, obviously we love Bill and we like, even even though he went on to the to the big guy at ESPN, you know, He's a he's kind of a legend around not just Rock M but like the Mizzou football beat as a whole, and he's really inspired a lot of people um, in the way that they view the game and and you in a lot of ways. So talk about a little bit what you're going to be bringing to the Rock M team um, and just really how you view the game and and how that kind of plays into your writing. Yeah, um, 
just massive disclaimer, I am not Bill Connolly. I do not have any kind of degree in statistics. Um, I, I am just a fan. I am a fan who was thirsty for a different look on the sport that I loved. And uh, meeting Bill uh, and Ross early on in, in Rock M's career uh, and being exposed to their analysis and how he does it uh, really transformed uh, the way that I view the game. And, and so as, as the advanced statistics uh, have developed and evolved over time, both in this sport and other sports, and you know, Bill uh, developing his S&P and tweaking it here and there and adding things and, and making a more holistic view of the sport itself uh, really, really changed the way that I thought uh, about the sport of football. And so what I've started to do um, is, is try and keep track of the advanced stats myself. Um, now, certainly, I, you know, I always have to kind of check my work against his if he, if he ever runs a game. Um, but, you know, success rates, possessions, um, uh, scoring opportunities, uh, counting sacks and yards as far as passing yards goes, uh, third down conversions, fourth down conversions, net kicking, um, you know, line, adjusted line yards, success rates, stuff like that. Uh, it, is, it's, it gives you such a more complete view of, of what a team is doing in the broad view. Because, again, as he says, you know, the, the college football season is a 12-sample sport. And you can't really do a lot with 12 samples. <laughs> it's a very small sample size. So you got to rely on the big view. And when you look at advanced stats over years, you can get a pretty good idea of what the team is doing. Um, I like to – I subscribe to that thought. And I like seeing that, that macro view. Uh, so what I want to do is I want to bring that back to Rock M. Beyond the box score, we're bringing it back. Statistical analysis of individual players, we're bringing it back. Looking ahead for like three big factors based off of matchups, based off of S&P, we're bringing that back. And I am going to do my best impression that I can. I'm going to interpret those stats uh, the best way I can to convey that to the Rock M readership so that they have a better idea of what they can expect from this game. Uh, and hopefully we can, uh, I can do my best imitation, carry the torch, uh, and bring the Rocky and football analysis anyway back to uh, where it used to be in the Halkeon days of the uh, 08 to, what, 14 run uh, that Bill C. had here. And you got a pretty decent radio voice, so hopefully doing some podcasts here and there as well, right? Oh, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll bring back some, some podcasts. I think uh, try and do some pregame or postgame analysis. Uh, we've got a lot of really talented uh, writers coming in with a lot of unique experiences uh, that I think are going to be able to really fill out the picture of what this football team is doing. And if we can provide as much uh, both reading content and listening content for your commute to and from work, uh, so be it. That's even better. Yeah. And Nate, I really like the way that you talk about advanced statistics too. So growing up, I was, I've always been more of a baseball guy than, you know, a football guy or a basketball guy, but, and, and admittedly, I'm not a math person. Like you said, like you said, you're not Bill, you don't have a statistics degree. I, part of the reason I got into journalism was so I wouldn't have to do math anymore. <laughs> um, but I remember when I was, uh, when I was in school and I was bored in class, I would just start looking around on, you know, fan graphs and baseball reference and discovering these kind of new ways to view the game I loved. And I was pretty blown away because I was like, man, I can't remember the last time I liked kind of breaking down and understanding numbers this much and like trying to figure out formulas and what they meant and how they informed the game I loved. 
And and I just really like how you talked about how they, they open up a bigger picture of the game. And, and it's not about like, oh, you know, I, this is the way I look at the world. It's more about like, I have a passion for this. And and like that informs the way that like I'm taking in the entirety of how I can understand this game not just kind of like you know the old school well you know this is what the box score says and this is what mm-hmm. this is what the the stats on the back of the of the football card say um, I like the way you talk about like a holistic approach to understanding the game through those advanced numbers because that's how I I think that's good and I think they're for everybody and they think I think they can be made accessible to everybody and that's that's my job. Make it accessible. Uh, again, I, I I did. I'm not a math person either. <laughs> uh, I was a social scientist myself, so uh, you're asking me to crunch numbers. It typically does not work well. But gosh, I just I have I have thrown myself uh, into trying to understand all of these advanced stats and what they mean and how to calculate them and how to how to pick that out from uh, from just watching the game. So you know, the past year, you you know, you rewind the clock, sitting in my basement uh, watching the, the game that I DVR'd and counting snaps and counting possessions and you know taking into account all the things that you don't get from uh from yeah like that box score like you were talking about um and being able to relay that to people it just it gives you a bigger view you know instead of saying well you know <laughs> go back to you know 2010 11 12 well yost just doesn't run the ball enough you know it's like well okay no but let's look at the situation right where are they starting out? What are their strengths are? You know, how, how is he utilizing, you know, formations and how is he use li- utilizing play di- data to figure out what we need to call? Uh, what's the, su- the success rate if we just ran the Dane ball off of tackle every single time? Uh, it gives you a better, uh, a better knowledge base to operate off of. So you have a more focused, you know, analysis, essentially, uh, when you are looking at the team and, and trying to figure out what we, what we are doing well or what we need to do better. Yeah. Put you on the spot a little bit. And, and you may not have like a clear, distinct answer on this. What's your favorite stat that a lot of people don't think about a lot? Like what, what's a stat that when you look at it, you're like, I get it. Like I understand what's happening in the game right now. And I know that varies a little bit, but what's one that you just like love to use in your writing and in your analysis? Points per opportunity. It is, it is a metric that measures of all of these scoring opportunities that you got, how many points did you get out of it? And let's see here. It was Alabama Clemson 2. Yes, the second one. Where um, Clemson and Alabama were really close, but Clemson was getting more scoring opportunities and not doing as much with them, whereas Alabama wasn't getting as many, but really capitalizing. And you know, I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, halfway through, I was like, you know, if this keeps up, <laughs> Alabama's going to outlast him. And lo and behold, they did. Um, so it was it, it was I love that stat in particular. It also gives you a lot of, a good idea of efficiency. Um, but mostly in the red zone, of course, uh, scoring opportunities when you have a first down inside the 40-yard line instead of the 20. Um, but it really it gives you a better idea of execution when points are on the line. It also kind of gives you an idea of which coaches are uh, <coughs> Scurred, uh, as far <laughs> as going for it, and how many field goals you kick, you know. So if you got, you got ten, you know, ten trips inside uh, a scoring opportunity, you could walk away with you know three point two points per opportunity. You're not very efficient once you get in the forty. You're not very good at getting into the end zone. So that's something that gives you a better idea of what they need to work on, uh, and gives you a better idea of what to be mad about. Um, so that's a good one. And of course, you know, re- again, go back to uh, the the Texas Bowl. 
uh, starting field position when Michael freaking Dixon just punted us to hell uh, and we started, our average field position was like the 12 uh, and Texas was the 23. And eventually they just were able to lean on us a little more and, and outlast us during that game. And, you know, you could look at the box score and you could see the rushing yards were about the same, the passing yards were okay. It was like, what was the difference? Well, <laughs> we had about 80 more yards that we had to go than Texas did, and they just outlasted us. So uh, those are the types of uh, stats that I really like to look at to get a better picture. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, that's good. It'll give a give readers a kind of a, a preview of what you'll be writing about whenever you're on the site. Um, so we already talked a little bit about Barry Odom and kind of what, your thoughts on him. But to transition, uh, it's kind of the last part of this almost introduction podcast for you. I want to talk a bit, little bit about the um, about the team and about the coming season. So we're still a few weeks out from football actually officially starting, although the the players are in preseason camp now. Um, I mean, there's not much to say that hasn't already be said that hasn't already been said even on our own site, right? Like big expectations. Uh, Odom has proven that he can take this team on long runs in November and late in the year, um, take him to bowl games two years in a row. But now, like things are ratcheted up, right? You got all you got preseason all Americans. You got the highest rated transfer quarterback on the market and you got another high rated transfer quarterback and kind of waiting in the wings like this feels like a foundational year in the sense that almost I think there are expectations that Odom is to kind of follow in Pingle's footsteps and take Mizzou kind of to that next next level um and I don't know how fair those are I, I think I think we'll find out a lot about Odom and about the program that he's going to run after this season. But what are some of your general overall thoughts about the program heading into Barry Odom's fourth year? I am optimistic, but skeptical. <laughs> you, say, you, you say that in a very cautious tone. <laughs> yeah, optimistic, but skeptical. Um, I just, I have been, uh, you know, wearing the rose uh, tinted glasses and, and been upset before. I, I just. Until he can prove it, I have no faith in an Odom-led team to do well in the first quarter of the year. And what do we start with? We start with Wyoming in Laramie. And, again, small sample sport, but he is open with a loss to West Virginia, a shootout to Missouri State, and then, obviously, a a pantsing of, of an FCS opponent the next year, which is you were supposed to do the year before. Um, no offense to UT Martin and Missouri State, but that's what they're supposed to do. Um, obviously, last September was better than the two Septembers before that, but uh, we've never opened on the road. <laughs> uh, and Wyoming is annoying. Um, they play defense really well. Um, offensively, they're returning some pieces, but <laughs> it was not very impressive. You know, they're forecasted to be 107th in offense and 68th on defense. Obviously, we're projected to be much, much higher than that. 
but it's September. It's when you know Kelly Bryant will get his first start there. It's on the road, and I'm just until we win it, we haven't won it, and so I'm just gonna hold my breath and uh, hope for the best in that first game. Yeah, the Wyoming game definitely feels like, and without getting too much into the numbers because spoiler alert, I haven't. It kind of feels like one of those games that we've seen a lot over the past few years with uh, that Drew, like kind of the Drew Locke era almost, where you don't have as much confidence in the Missouri defense. Well, like they have pieces, and that's the frustrating thing is we know they have pieces. We know that there is talent on that side of the ball, right? But it almost feels like a okay, like are they going to break this game? Uh, and how much will be, how many points will be able to put on the board? It just feels like um, if we can get out ahead far enough, then they'll just be chasing us the rest of the game. And I part of me wonders whether that's just our default mode right now because that's how all of the Drew Lock years were, or if maybe it's kind of like you said, until they do it, we're not going to be able to confidently kind of assert that that's uh, that Mizzou will be able to win a game handedly on both sides of the ball right against an obviously inferior opponent but on the road it certainly feels like at least for a few quarters if they can unless they can get off to a big lead we're going to be kind of clenching our you know what's and hoping that Missouri won't be able to won't have to play one of those games in a shootout style right I mean you know you go back last year we won 40 to 13 mm-hmm. well how did we do it Okay, now I know Drew Locke threw for four touchdowns, but it was three nothing at the end of the first. It was ten nothing halfway through the second. It was thirteen nothing at half. And, you know, I'm certainly not trying to be a doomsayer, but we just did not look very good. And that was, you know, second game at home with a senior quarterback. Um certainly I'm not saying, you know, one year leads to another, but we really beat him uh once Drew Locke started keeping on those options. And I think he got nearly 100 yards against him. And once we started doing that, that really opened everything up uh, for Crockett and Roundtree, which opened up Johnson in the middle. Uh, I think Albert O caught a touchdown. Like, it, it, it opened up, but not until we got that run game going. Now, you look at Kelly Bryant and look at Larry Roundtree's back, Tyler Beatty, you go, okay, well, we got, we got the pieces here uh, for a good run game. We are replacing two linemen. That's never easy. It's always kind of a crapshoot. And if they could bottle up our passing game, you know, in that first half, uh, with Drew Locke and, and a, a solid offensive line and, you know, Emmanuel Hall and everybody like that, what are they going to do when we're trying to break in new pieces too, you know? And, again, they got to do the same thing as, as we do, but it's just it's just a little red flag that I can't help but, <laughs> but pay attention to. And you can't win them all until you win the first one. And I know there's a lot of expectation uh, for these guys to do well. And I just want them to be focused, take care of business, give me a 21-0 lead at half, <laughs> let me feel good about this, and then we'll move on. But that's going to be a huge tone setter for this season. And if we squeak by or, God forbid, lose, um, there there goes the season. In a sense, for sure. Um, so I want to kind of put you on the spot based on something that you were talking about. Um, and I'm certainly not claiming that you're saying this, but, you know, we got to get the headlines and got to draw on, draw on the viewers sure. and the listeners, you know. You talked a little bit about Drew Locke kind of finding his footing in that Wyoming game and, and possibly how the addition of Kelly Bryant could make things different. Obviously, Drew Locke is – he's a legend at Mizzou. Um, he had the charisma, he had the big sexy arm, you know, he, he was everything you wanted out of an SEC quarterback. He, he kind of defined 
almost like Mizzou. It's Mizzou's new success in the SEC. Uh, kind of like those outside of those first few years, this new era that they're going into. Really, I think we'll look back and in a way he's almost defining in Barry Odom's first few years, kind of getting his feet wet. We'll always Mm -hmm. have known him as like, oh, he had an NFL quarterback with him. But coming into this new year with Kelly Bryant, hopefully a little bit more of a balanced offense, do you think that leads to less games like that where you're leaning so much on your quarterback to get things done because you know you we know Kelly Bryant probably isn't as prolific as Drew Locke is uh, so you kind of have to rely rely on the guys around you and to be fair the supporting cast is pretty good do you think that bodes well for the future of Mizzou's offense I do I do I, I, I don't know I haven't really gotten a good feel of what the uh the group consensus of Kelly Bryant is I've heard you know, oh, it's going to be no drop-off from, from Drew to Kelly. Um, I've heard, oh, it's going to be so much different. Yeah, you know, pump the brakes. It's not what you're going to think it's going to be. I think we can all agree he's a very talented athlete. You don't make your way to starting quarterback of Clemson without being that. Uh, what I would say is that I feel like if Kelly Bryant had four years at Missouri, we'd view him very similarly as to what we viewed James Franklin, whereas it's a highly rated quarterback who comes in, doesn't like flash anything that's super impressive from like an arm standpoint. Obviously, James Franklin had the run against A and M, uh, a couple of key moments against Oklahoma. Like you had some of that, like just as he was running, but never like through the air. Um, and I think if Kelly Bryant was a four-year starter here, we'd be very tired of him. Uh, he's super efficient on his passing, but he doesn't go very far. Um, you know, his one year at, at Clemson with Clemson athletes, you know, he drew, threw for like 2,800 yards, 65% completion rate, but only 13 touchdowns. Uh, and really, even on the ground, it was only 854 yards. Um, so I think, you know, if you mold a system around him, it's a little bit more patient. It's a little bit more deliberate. But yes, kind of like what you're alluding to, it puts you in a position where you are controlling the game a little bit more. Uh, I'm not saying we have Clemson's defense because no one has Clemson's defense, uh, but it certainly puts that side of the ball in better positions. Uh, you know, against uh, Missouri State uh, in 2017, against Wyoming in 2018, um, you know, you had a situation where it was just kind of like <laughs> Missouri State, we couldn't stop anybody through the pass. Uh, and with Wyoming, we just couldn't get anything going. Uh, if you're a little bit more deliberate, uh, a little bit more safe, um, I don't think we're going to be impressed uh, like with the arm or like big circus catches, but I do think we're going to be very pleased with the ability to uh, convert third downs. Uh, something that uh, when Franklin, his senior year in 2013, was very, very good at doing, and Matty Mock wasn't, it never really became, uh, but it's kind of like it's the non-sexy, like just get it done type of offense that I think we're going to see. And I think that could bode very well for this team. Yeah, the pacing of the of Missouri offense should be different in a way. You talked about the Missouri State game where it was just like, it felt like every five plays there were at least three touchdowns and it was just this wild swing between agony and ecstasy. Um, Drew Lock <laughs> hitting for 80-yard touchdowns and then all of a sudden Missouri State pops one off too. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I can't help but feel like that's got to be good for Missouri's defense. I mean, one of the things 
that plagued them so much last year was how was their inability to stop the pass. But I, I mean, mm. I think everybody agreed that that's just as much of a symptom of a bad pass rush as it is a secondary. Yes. We look at the yes. secondary. You've got guys like Demarcus Acey and Christian Holmes who, on talent alone, are. I mean, I don't feel like I'm hyperbolizing, but all SEC caliber guys, maybe they don't reach their full potential, but they've certainly got the talent and the athleticism for it. But when you've got young guys on the line that don't know how to pressure the quarterback, I mean, even David Blau is going to have a career day against you, you know? (sighs) David Blau. I'm I'm glad we're never going to have moments looking back at like David Blau, like Connor Shaw. Like you know oh how you God. just kind of like you kind of like tense up when you hear Connor Shaw's name, like yeah. David Blau. You can kind of like sigh a little bit, but it's never going to be quite on that level. Yeah, it's like ah, David Blau. Ah, uh, Connor Shaw was made out of tetanus. I don't, I don't even know if that guy's still playing or not. But even if he, he if he was, he would still be tremendous. Um, I'm, I don't want to give away all my content because I got to hit my story count. I mean, that's week, fair, dude. But um, I will say this: if you want an expectation for this team. I think it's going to be very much more like 2010 than 2013. And if you remember that 10 team, the defense was unheralded, but it had a lot of stars who were rounding into form. Dominique Hamilton. We had two corners in Carl Geddes and Kevin, Kevin Rutland who ended up awesome, but without like any you know accolades at all. Just very unheralded, but four-year experienced seniors who ended up being very good shutdown cornerbacks. You also had an offense with a tremendous quarterback in Blaine Gabbert, um, who really only was utilized as more of a checkdown machine. You had Michael Agnew, you had uh, TJ Moe, because on the outside you had Gerald Jackson and uh, uh, Wes Kemp, uh, <laughs> not known to be burners. <laughs> so it was a lot of just like matriculate down the field, bust a big play out of a couple of short, uh, short passes, uh, but really ride the run game. And I think that's more realistic of what this team could be. Uh, and I'll provide a lot of statistical analysis to prove that. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of how I'm viewing this, what this team could be. Uh, and, of course, that means that they're going to you know, throw it out the window, go five wide, and go Washington State and <laughs> just pass all the time. I don't know. But that, going into the season, that's kind of what I'm expecting. You know, I think if you told people at the beginning of the year, hey, Mizzou is going to go 10-3. and three. I think most people would take that as long as it, as long as it doesn't end with a can of corn interception to Iowa in the Insight Bowl. (laughs) I like I was I remember I think I was on a cruise when I was watching Mm -hmm. that game and like the the reception was really bad and the TV was really fuzzy and I remember Mm -hmm. watching Gabbert roll and as soon as he threw it up in the air I just threw my arms up I was like I (laughs) I like I could I could see that safety sitting there before he yeah. even came onto the frame. I was just like, I know he's Micah there. Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde. I have a friend of mine who went to Iowa who I was watching it with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was very, he hated Micah Hyde. He thought he was the slowest dude on the team. And when he made that pick, <laughs> I was like, oh my God. You didn't. You know, what, people, what people forget though is that we still almost won that game. Mm-hmm. We were a TJ Mo catch on fourth down uh, that was caught, mind you. Uh, away from continuing that drive and possibly tying it up. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. I mean, I don't want to insult Micah Hyde too much, but you don't need to be fast or really even uh, mobile to catch that to catch that ball. So, just be there. Yeah, yeah you just got to be in the right place at the right time. Well, Nate, that's uh, that's all I had to go through. Is there anything else you wanted to add before uh, before we signed off here? 
Yeah, I just I'm really excited to be part of the team. Uh, I'm excited to crank out some content for you guys. I think it's going to be a I think it could has the potential to be a really good year, and I'm really excited with what Rockham is doing to kind of uh, overhaul their football coverage. Uh, we got a lot of good things coming down the pipe for you guys. Hope you all read. Hope you all listen, because uh, we could be going on a very magical journey together. Yeah, for sure. And make sure and. You, you've kind of switched back and forth, but, man, you're part of the team now. You can say we. You have to rock M their coverage. You're <laughs> part of it, man. That's Our coverage now. Um, but, yeah, thank you so much, Nate. Is there anywhere that people can find you online to find any more of your writing or any more of your thoughts on social media, or are you just going to be on Rock M? Oh, yes. I mean, I'll be on Rock M. You can, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's at Nate G. Edwards. Uh, obviously, my content is going to be a lot more original and creative than that, but it's very easy to find me. Uh, you can... You know, just see all my random musings of college football and uh, Mario Kart 64 and my stupid dog. Uh, so, yeah, just tune in and uh, we'll join this. Uh, we'll, we'll enjoy social media during college football falls together. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Obviously, like you said, you can find him on Twitter and his writing will be up on Rock M Nation this fall. Um, not to add on too much because he said it really well, but... Man, me and Sam are really excited about the football coverage we've got going for y'all this year. Um, like Nate said, it, it should be a pretty fun year. Um, hopefully the expectations record-wise are what we want them to be, but even if they aren't, we're going to have a lot of fun breaking down football and looking at it from all these different all these different perspectives. Nate, thank you so much for joining me. Obviously, you can find Rockin' Radio on Apple and Spotify and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you next time.